Hi, I'm Todd Gray, Executive Director Treasurer with Kentucky Baptist Convention. This is Facebook Live Leadership Lessons with uh, Tim Morgan, Kentucky Baptist Pastor and Soldier. Uh, Tim is a bivocational pastor and formerly retired uh, Senior Special Operations Aviator from 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment at Fort Campbell, but recently uh, active again, and he'll tell us more about that. Tim is married to Audrey for 24 years. They have four children, David, Anna, Bethany, and Chloe. Tim grew up in South Central Pennsylvania, Amish country, saved through the ministry of a Methodist pastor. This was a baptizing Methodist pastor. He was fully immersed after he was saved at the age of 12, answered the call to vocation, uh, vocational Christian ministry under Monty Flanagan at a Kentucky Baptist Church, Liberty Point Baptist Church in Katy's. Tim pastored Silent Run Baptist Church in Nebo, Kentucky for a good number of years. A Nebo or Silent Run, Tim would like to say, is three-quarter miles up a, anybody else would say, dead-end road. He said a live-end road because the Lord was at work there. Church grew under Tim's leadership from 63 people in attendance to over 165 in four years. He led them to baptize about 50 people. During that time, the church gave 15 to 20 percent of their undesignated receipts to missions. Tim is a faithful Kentucky Baptist pastor and friend to me personally. Tim, welcome to Facebook Live Leadership Lessons. Thank you, Dr. Gray. I appreciate the time. I, I, I heard the bio and I, I know what you said, and I feel probably the, the least worthy guy to be on. Well, I'm I'm glad you're I'm glad you're here. Thank you're serving you're serving churches. We're going to talk about uh, several things about your life, work, evangelism, leadership, um, spiritual disciplines. But let's talk about your work first. So, um, Martin Luther, Christian reformer, said this about work. He said, "Every occupation has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling." Sometimes we have the mindset that pastoring a church is a higher level of work than other important works. Luther didn't seem to think that way. You actually have two jobs. You're now pastor of Fruit Hill Baptist Church in Christian County and active duty aviator with uh, with the 160th. So um, how's that going for you? Well, uh, I've still got a few more days. Okay. Uh, I've still got a few more days of retirement to enjoy. I don't go back on active duty till the 1st of July. Uh, I guess that's my Independence Day celebration. Uh, the mustache will have to go at that time. I, I guess so. That's what they're saying. I, I, I figured if I just walk around and look like I'm supposed to have it, maybe no one will say anything. Uh, they they may say something, Tim. Uh, so 160th is is um, Special Operations Regiment uh, with the U.S. Army. So how has being part of one of the most elite military forces? in the army helped you pastor a Baptist church? Uh, well, taught me how to fight. Uh, say that, you know, it's, it's, it's the stereotypical joke of the way that, uh, you know, Baptist churches are. And it, it's really not part of that is, is it, it does teach you different disciplines um, in, in the way that we do things uh, using systems, uh, not relying on ourselves. Uh, so, it's it's just one of those things. It's it's been it's been great. Um, but when we talk about fighting and, and that training that special operations in particular has given me, the one thing that it does is uh, it makes us realize that the fight, whether it, whether it be in a church or be on a battlefield, it, it's it's not about the people. It's about Satan. And until we we recognize that 
it's true battle is recognizing when Satan's at work and and taking the steps that God's given us to defeat him. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. Most folks will tell you uh, I make a lot of uh, dead president and dead general jokes. Uh, one of my favorites, particularly, you know, if we look at this scenario, is is Sun Tzu, and it, it just simply Sun Tzu quote just simply says that the art of war teaches us not to rely on the likelihood of the enemies not coming, but on our own readiness to receive him, not on the, rather on the fact that we've made our position unassailable. And that's the assurance that we have in Christ. There's no need for a fight in the church. There's no need for discord. There's no need for it in our society. We need to recognize that these things that we face are just purely Satan. Yeah, well, so uh, Tim, bivocational, I mean, pastoring a church and, and prior to you being um reactivated which i understand starts up in in july the first of july you you still worked full-time for the 160th regiment um yes sir that's a that's a lot to juggle two very full-time jobs you pastored a growing church so was there ever a time when you had to choose between one of one or the other I, i can't go do both of these things that are presenting themselves to me tell us tell us about when that happens so I enjoy my vocational ministry. I mean, I truly feel called to it. Um, it it's, it's a blessing for me, but there are times uh, that we have that. I, I can remember uh, I had a commander, uh, now retired, Major Andy Ginlett, uh, and he always used to compliment me on the balance that I appeared to have. When the reality of it is, is when you're in a unit of A-plus personality people, the balance that appears there is really a sham to the rest of the world. Um, I, I was very blessed in my ministry uh, after I retired and worked to 160th as a contractor that when I needed to do something, my employer was very good to know that I would accomplish the work task, but it was going to be late. I think in the seven years I was with Silent Run, uh, I, missed, I missed a funeral that I remember for sure. Uh, that was kind of sprung up last minute, and I got to brag on two of my deacons. Uh, I, I asked him, I said, hey, do you know uh, this this death has occurred? And yep, yep, we're going to be there. And I said, well, it's a good thing you're going to be there because you're doing the funeral. I, I, can't make a, I can't make a change on a Sunday afternoon to be at a funeral on Monday. I said, you guys got it. And, and, and uh, Joe Byron, Joe Gamblin, both – both just grabbed hold and ran with it, and those two men just blessed part of my blessings as a ministry. And Tim, one of the challenges of a, of a Facebook Live meeting is that sometimes uh, audio internet connections are can be a little difficult, and so you're freezing up every now and then. But uh, I've got whether that froze up or not, I have to rewind. And so you you said here comes a funeral. You just got word. And you found out two deacons are going to attend, and then you told them that not only are you attending, you're also going to you're going to preach the message at this funeral. Is that is that am I telling that right? That's a hundred percent correct. <laughs> so, what was their first reaction to you when they get that when they received that news? So, I'm gonna I have to brag. I had the greatest group of men who were servants of our church. Neither one of them blinked an eye. They just said, "We got it." Well. Wow. Uh, and I told him, I said, hey, long story short, I had uh, a lot of meetings lined up for that day from out-of-state vendors. Uh, I just couldn't change on a Sunday afternoon. Sure. And uh, I told him, I said, I'll do my best. To- 
Well, that's the reality of bivocational work. I mean, you have a, a bivocational pastor has a, a full-time job apart from the church. So what are some things that um, those who are not bivocational in their ministry, what are some things they should know about those who, about those who are? Uh, I think probably the biggest thing, sir, that I've just realized over the years is um, the only difference between us is we're, we're, we're both in this for the kingdom. Um, we all have, we all have challenges that we make. Um, some guys are better at just like a normal pastor. Some guys are better at pastoral ministry. Some guys are better, you know, better expositors. So just capitalize on our, our differences that, that that is what makes our strength across. What is it? Nearly was it 2,360 Baptist churches. Yeah. That's what makes us. That's what it is until you lead uh, Fruit Hill to go start a couple of more in, in, in Christian County somewhere. We we got to get this one built up. Oh, you, you, you can you do that. The Lord's going to help you do it. Tim, I don't want to, I don't want to push too much, but, but um, let me, let me take that a little bit further. So, I mean, you're working a full 40 to 60 hour a week job. Uh, when I was, yes, when I was a, a single vocational pastor, I, I worked a full 40 to 60 hour a week job, sometimes more, but it was at one place with one group of people and, and, it, and the work was never finished. It never, it never got done. So what are some ways that ministry is different for a bivocational pastor than it is for a, a, um, a, a single vocation pastor? Well, uh, you have to learn how to use Google calendar, uh, and you have to And probably the biggest, at least for me, again, and I'll go back to my military side, is since 2004, I've lived in no-fail, you know, missions mindset. And sometimes you need to learn as a bivocational guy, you know, it's not necessarily mission-fail, but but it's mission-adjust. And so you have to be able to use the contingency operations, be it those phenomenal deacons that I had Um knowing that you can't, you just frankly can't do everything. That's perfect. And yeah. uh, delegate and those wonderful that take care of, you know, you got Miss Rita Bratcher and, and, and Judy and Charlene taking care of the food and you, you just trust that it happens. Uh, well, that's, that's excellent. So I, I love the analogy of, uh, of, of, of no fail and it's not a fail, but I'm going to have to do some things different. So whereas a, where a single vocational pastor may have 20 hours in a week to devote to preparing one or two or sermons, uh, man, you're you're doing that back and forth on the road from from home to to your place of work. What? So let's talk about let's talk about evangelism. You are an evangelistic leader. You're an evangelistic person. I read this quote this morning from Tom Rainer in an article of, titled Seven Reasons Why Evangelism Should Be a Priority in Your Church. Here's what he said. He said, when evangelism dies as a priority in the church, the church has already begun to die. So how did you lead Silent Run Baptist Church to make evangelism a priority? I remember listening in case I messed this up, but I think just just living it. Um, look, I, I'll be honest, sir, and you know me well. I got way more faults than I got strengths. Um, but the one thing that I think that Silent Run saw was even in my, even in my faults and my mistakes, I was always constant 
And, and that constant was the kingdom, whether I offended somebody or whether I, whatever it was, the, the ultimate goal was still getting, you know, to take you guys as phrase was to just turn every conversation to a gospel conversation. Um, you know, if, if I've got a couple seconds with somebody, I'm, I'm going to try to get it there uh, and, and try to try to find that one thing that, that we can agree on to, to get that bridge to get to the gospel. So Tim, tell us about a recent time when you shared the when you shared the gospel with a, a lost person. You found someone, and you felt like the Lord was opening a door, and you turned that conversation toward a, a, a spiritual one, even a gospel conversation. You froze up on just a part of it. Could you just say the last part again? Absolutely. So just tell us about a time when you recently shared the gospel with a lost person. Uh. <laughs> Would you care if I twisted that just for a second? No. I'm not. Um, so I, I actually stopped uh, on Sun. This is a story that I really love and I want to share it. I did stop to share the gospel on Sunday. I'd been driving by a, a neighbor, a new neighbor's house here in this community. And I keep looking at it and they're plain clothes folks. Uh, and, and I just kept thinking about them. To be frank, I was having a pretty rough Sunday morning. Uh, I was... I was kind of struggling myself to go preach the good news in light of all the divide in our country right now. And I just felt the Lord tell me to stop. I saw this gentleman walking up the driveway. That was my opportunity. Just felt the Lord tell me to stop. And I just stopped. Uh, of course, knowing we have, and we just got to talking and of course, I got to the gospel pretty quick. Um, it's it's easy with someone that obviously sets themselves apart. Uh, and through that all, as I had prepared to share the gospel with him, uh, you know, when we'd already shared about the unrest, and uh, he, he looked me in the eye, and he said, you know, he said, our job is the same. And he said, your only job today is to go share the hope of Jesus Christ. And, I, I mean, I stopped to share the gospel with someone that I assumed rightly or wrongly, you know, didn't quite have the relationship part down right. And, and, and God gave me such an amazing blessing. Uh, and, and frankly, got to be able to come and, and hit it hard at 1030 and, and share. The message was on grace, and I was having difficulty with grace, and he gave it to me. Well, so so the Lord just gave you your your marching orders in a fresh way through uh, through an, <laughs> through an un, unexpected source. Uh, he put you right back in the mission when you were struggling a little bit with it. God's good like that. Uh, Tim, who is someone that you saw that you've seen come to Christ in your ministry that is just what, uh, most encouraging to you? Maybe not the not the top one or two, but just someone you saw get saved and you saw some real life change happen in, in their uh, life. That's an easy one. Uh, am I froze up? There we go. Uh, so I had a, a, a young couple in our community. Uh, I'm going to try to keep the details out because I don't want to. They'll know I'm talking about them because I love them. For several years, I had shared uh, with the young lady and the folks around them in the business that they had. I used to go in there every Wednesday night, and I would uh, – in my uh, Bible meeting and prayer study. Uh, and so over the course of that time, got to build a relationship with him. And, and the gentleman had always kind of, I, I guess, removed himself from me. He, 
he didn't interact with me very much. I, I don't understand why, but he came out one night, and I knew that they had had some relationship issues. And he'd come out one night, sat at, sat at the table with me, and just started pouring his heart out. Uh, and I and I just told him I said, and and they were in the process of a divorce. Man, I said, everything that's wrong here starts back with the lack of a relationship with Jesus. And and I had had explained just the very briefly the gospel. Um, you know, he, he was just task saturated mentally. And I said, look, I said, you know, and he said that's what I want. And I and I stopped him. I said, look, I I said I need to make sure you understand. You accepting Jesus does not fix your marriage. You've spent years to get to this point. This is about your eternity. And he, he looked at me. He saw the tears on the, on the table and he said, I know that. He said, but I can't fix anything else until my eternity is secured. And wow. he sat right there that night and accepted Christ. Um, they're remarried. They have a beautiful family. They're amazing successful uh, in their careers uh, and and they they now have taken on more and more at the church and and serving and doing and I I just look I mean they're just golly they're just amazing people so that's just the gospel I mean that's just the way the gospel works isn't it when you you plant a seed water a seed pray over it and God just does the work and then you see a life change so, um, you know, you're, you're like a bunch of other pastors. You're, you're trying to lead evangelistically. You're trying to do what you what you can. And, and I'm sure you're reluctant to give advice to some degree, but you may have something valuable to say. So what advice do you have <laughs> for other pastors who are trying to lead evangelistically? Again, I'm going back to I'm the least in this state to give advice. Um, but I guess at the end, um, evangelistically, is to be yourself. Uh, and, and if you're not ready to be evangelistic, be someone else until you're ready to be evangelistic. Um, because, folks, your church, I think I heard, actually, I think it was at a KBC convention, uh, that after a certain amount of time, I believe it was three to four years, the congregation takes on The characteristic, and, and I, I believe that, um, you know, my folks got very, very good at being evangelistic. Let's be honest, you know, Dr. Gray, as Southern Baptist churches, we all say we're evangelistic and we all say we want to share the gospel, but we're abysmal failures or the percentages of people in church on Sunday morning wouldn't be so low. Um, but I think when the when the family sees what you're doing, they'll follow along. So. Look, it's, it's it's not I've been with you when we've been out to lunch and I've I've watched you. And 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 even then sometimes it just it just didn't feel comfortable. And so even when it doesn't feel comfortable, that's our job. When 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 we become a saved child of the king, our God our, our goal is to bring someone else to that same relationship. Well, I don't want to get too specific about your work, but I mean, you you fly helicopters for a living, and you 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 fly into dangerous situations. My guess is there are a lot of things about your work that's uncomfortable, and so evangelism can just be one more of those things that is uh, occasionally uncomfortable, and yet we're still called to do it. Most most people don't know this about me, but but I'm kind of a brash fella, so 
I don't mind jumping into an uncomfortable situation. Uh, Tim, let's talk about leadership. You're you're um, you're you're a leader, and you're put in a leadership position in both both roles. Your role with uh, with the Army, with 160th, and then also as a, in a church. Uh, President Harry Truman made this statement, and it's qu- uh, others have taken it over. But he said, "Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are are readers." So I can imagine, as pastor of a church, uh, a soldier, a husband, father. You also have a small farm, understand? You're an active member of your community. You're a police chaplain, at least you were when you were living over in, in, um, in Hopkins County. Uh, so you're, you're, my guess is your time is stretched pretty thin. So how have you managed to uh, remain a lifetime, lifelong learner? It is difficult. And obviously, just like anything, when you have you know, let's be honest, I'm my own worst enemy. I can fill the white space on a calendar like nobody's business. I, I enjoy reading. Uh, my first grade teacher, bless her heart, I'd give a million dollars if she could hear it. Uh, she not only spanked me in school, but uh, taught me to love to read. Uh, but I do enjoy reading. I, I used to publish for Silent Run uh, the pastor's reading list of the books that I had read recently or thought were uh, you know, I'd, I'd give the pastor a book, and I always thought, man, he didn't seem very appreciative uh, until I got in that, that side and I realized people give you a lot of books. Uh, but I do enjoy reading. Uh, I, I've got Kindle on my phone, so if I'm sitting somewhere, I just I open it up, I read. I like to read. Frankly, you know, sometimes I just like to read a fiction book just to just to get away for a minute, but... Uh, I enjoy just about all genres of literature. You uh, are you working on a doctorate degree right now? Uh, <laughs> I would. <laughs> I'm dreaming about a doctorate degree. Uh, I want to do my my PhD in leadership. Uh, I've I've tried to start it a few times, but I've had to realize my own limitations, and I, I'm I'm just not able to put the amount of the correct amount of focus on it and not let something else falter. Well, you can't, I mean, you can't do everything. You can't do everything. If I'm looking distracted, it's because um, my other computer decided to restart while we're, while we're having this conversation. So let me, let me ask you a question about, about leadership as it relates to your, your work. You've spent 30 years in and around the military, at least 30 years. You've received a great deal of training. Uh, you've been promoted. You've been in battle. What are some of the most common mistakes that you have that are made by those who lead others into battle? Not that you've seen necessarily, but you just are aware. There's there's so many people that have written so many smart books uh, for those topics. But I'm going to go back to the one thing I think is is that constant, Um, whether you're leading soldiers into battle uh, or just just day-to-day church business. Uh, if a leader's constant, you know whether it's a whether it's a barbecue or a hail of bullets, I guess. Um, you know, I just go back to, to John ten. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so, you know, it, you can ask my wife. It's not uncommon to see someone that runs up and introduces me to wives and kids that that I've led somewhere. The truth of the matter is, I don't remember them. Uh, but I invested in them at the time, and I knew them at the time, and I, and I made them the priority at the time. And 
and people remember that. And so you've got to be constant and you've got to be invested in them. So one mistake then would be a leader that makes it about himself or herself instead of the people that they're called to lead. Yeah, absolutely. Something else, uh, anything else that you, that you recognize as a common leadership uh, mistake? In, I, in, in trying to balance it, you know, obviously ministry and military, one of the other things is a comparison. You know, I can't compare myself to, to Dr. Gray. I, I can't compare myself to um, Jeremy Atwood or any of the great pastors out there. I've got to be who God called me to be uh, and not make those comparisons to the church or to the unit um, where we're just wired differently. All right. So another um, mistake, th- another mistake then would be to uh, the, the uh, compare and despair. Uh, when you compare yourself to another person, it's never, it's never fair. You never compare your strengths. Um, you, you look at their strengths compared to your weaknesses. And it's just, it's just not a fair matchup. The Lord made us all, made us all different. Uh, Tim, on the other side of the question, what are two or three traits of excellent military leaders that you think can be transferred over to church leadership? Uh, well, I had a, I had a, I've worked for some, truly some of the greatest leaders uh, that I've ever known in my career, being obviously at the 160th. And I think one of those things that we need to be afraid or be set to is not be afraid to leave. Um, we need to be comfortable enough in our way to leave where we're at uh, and kind of segue is, is understanding that regardless of what you do, be it military or ministry, leadership can be messy. There are going to be situations that just are uncomfortable, but you can't be uncomfortable addressing them. There's going to be people that need discipline in the military and there's going to be people that need discipline in the church. There's going to be uh, Moral fit, all the things that occur in society occur wherever we are. You need to be able to deal with them. Yeah. So um, it, every leader would like to have some do-overs. Like, uh, well, I wish I would have handled that. It, wish I would have handled that a little bit different. <laughs> anything in your anything in your own life as a leader, especially as a church leader that you look back on after the fact and thought, you know, I could have probably handled that a little bit, a little bit different. Anything you'd be willing to share? <laughs> Next question. You want to move on? Yeah. Nobody. It's silent. <laughs> yeah. I just made a lot of mistakes, Dr. Gray. Um, part of it is because frankly, part of it is so many years in the military and, Folks in the church, whatever church, aren't necessarily ready for that much of directness. Right. And I struggled with that. I made a lot of mistakes very early on that even though I may have been doctrinally correct, my approach was probably not as pastoral as it should have been. Um, and, and frankly, I, I caused hurt to some people, particularly early on, um, and it wasn't wasn't anything I intended to do. It was just as I was, you know, I like to think, maybe it was being selfish, but I like to think that Silent Run took a, a, a great big old mess and made a pretty decent preacher. Um, and I'll, I'll forever be grateful for what they invested into me. Tim, all of us learn leadership lessons in, in real life, in real life experiences. 
or context. And um, there's no there's no way to learn and grow without making mistakes and, and, and missteps. That's 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 required of every one of us. And I appreciate you giving credit to Solid Run being the kind of church that that uh, allowed you to give leadership and accepted some of those mistakes. I'm sure some of the folks probably didn't accept some of those missteps very well. But I know some of those people and they really they really hung in there with you and they hated to see you. They hate to see you go. But you left that church in a good position when you left. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the 160th, and I'm not sure folks really know what that is. So give us the commercial version of the advertisement version of what is the 160th Special Operations Regiment. So make it, you froze for just a second. So the question was, what is the 160th? Yes. Uh, hmm. uh, the 160th is the greatest assignment I've ever had outside of the ministry. Uh, it is uh, was formed out of the failed desert rescue of the uh, hostage situation. Uh, uh, President Carter, President Reagan uh, was formed out of that. What was a failure? This uh, uh, loss of life and, and, and government equipment, and the, the government realized they needed uh, an organization that could do those those kinds of uh, missions. And so the unit was formed out of. Uh, some units here on Fort Campbell and brought some other folks into uh, Task Force 160. Uh, and that makes, uh, has, has evolved over the years. Is probably to most folks the most famous thing is the movie Black Hawk Down uh, uh, with uh, Jeff Struker, who went on to be a Southern Baptist pastor down in uh, uh, Georgia. Uh, and then, of course, brings up the two famous mottos of the unit of Night Stalkers Don't Quit. and will be anywhere in the world, time on target, plus or minus 30 seconds. All right. So uh, you guys are highly disciplined. Discipline is part of part of what you do. In fact, I understand you have a culture of emphasizing, and you just said it, uh, being on time for, for everything. And so you said, you know, you just rattled off, uh, we can be anywhere, target on time, plus or minus 30 seconds. So how is that culture of being on time emphasized in, in, um, in 160th Regiment? Uh, well, every, everything is based on plus or minus 30 seconds. Everything's done off of uh, 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 atomic, atomic clock. Every meeting starts plus or minus 30 seconds with a time hack. Uh, if you're supposed to be at, a, at an event or an assessment from your very first moment and exposure to the unit, you know, they're looking to see if you make plus or minus 30 seconds. And if you don't that, uh, you just don't make and, and Tim, being part of a of an, or, of an organization like that, it's, it comes by invitation. Is that right? You're you're actually recruited and picked out and asked to to step into that role. It it is. It's a it's an assessment process, and so you find out about the unit, or know about the unit. Uh, you submit a written uh, a written packet with a lot of you know a plethora of documentation, and the unit's got a very great assessment process and assessment officer um, and then based on that paperwork they're able to make a, a, a judgment of whether you'll be invited to come for a one week long in-person uh, portion of the assessment that includes physical events and flying and briefing and, and all the things that a military uh, particularly leader would do and then you sit through a board at the end uh, which is uh, you know obviously senior leaders throughout the organization and then you're you're told whether you'll be uh, offered a position or not, and whether 
and you get a back and try to do too well or hey thanks for your time and don't try again so we've talked about the discipline of being on time uh, i lived around fort campbell for well, for a lot of years in fact most of my most of my young life i, I lived in the general area and night stalkers 160th is called the night stalkers you guys practice all the time i mean you just practice 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 doing your doing your work so why is discipline so important for the military well it, i mean even basic factors of society you have to have discipline in order to make all the things function smoothly uh, you know it, it from its very lowest level um you know uh, from the newest guy to the unit everyone understands that the discipline to adhere to the, the standard operating procedures uh, all those things even when you don't understand them are geared toward mission success and so you have to have the discipline to adhere to the standard even when you don't understand it uh, and frank you know in, in that respect obviously the time uh, you know time is, is time is safety time keeps you you know friendly fire you know time puts you at a place where you're supposed to be where the objective's secure at that moment time puts you at a place where you know friendly forces are on the ground so your fires don't affect or interfere with what doing it's just about being disciplined so um first Timothy four seven tells believers to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness so what are some of the spiritual disciplines that you have found helpful as a as a growing christian well i, I like that you put as as a growing christian um, particularly because i think we should all still be growing um but i think as much as we look at that statement where where paul tells timothy to train for godliness I don't believe for us because I mean we're we're in the world all the time and we're still affected by those things. Um, I think one of those things, and I, I credit the military as I go back to as, as much as I hated it when I was being taught it, is uh, the military decision making process or MDMP. Uh, I'm, I'm a fixer. When when you bring a problem to me, my first my first reaction is to go into action to fix it. And for me, one of those spiritual disciplines is before I go into action to fix something, um, I've got to stop it. Um, it. It very much so takes a conscious effort for me um, to, to do that consistently. Tim, uh, I want to pause just for a second. And uh, so we have folks uh, viewing us on Facebook Live. If they have a specific question, something that you've said they'd like uh, to follow up on, tell them to free. I want to tell them to feel free to send those in that we'll try to get them as best we can. You mentioned the military decision making process and you rattled off three letters M MMP or something like that. Tell, tell us military about decision making process. Okay. That's not, but we refer to it as MDMP, military decision making process. Okay. And and so like what what's what are the parts of that process? You know, it's like everything. The military makes it probably more complicated than it needs to be. But just the same things that we do in the ministry, where we identify what the problem is, we lay out the resources that we've got to to apply to it. You know, be it you know time, energy, people, how we're going to apply that, develop the plan, implement the plan and super you know unfortunately i think particularly in the ministry and maybe maybe it's just me um but but we you know we tell you know brother billy bob to, to go do something and we never follow up and 
Brother Billy Bob didn't do it quite the way we wanted, and then it's just, you know, thing, things kind of get a, off kilter there. And, you know, we've got to follow up when we, when we give direction or we give guidance or something that the Lord's laid on our heart. We owe it to those folks to, to be part of the process all the way through to the end. And then there should, I'm assuming there should be an evaluation that, that uh, comes at the end. I've, I've received enough of your group emails to know that, that you, um, you guys do a, a good evaluation of most of the ministry that you do when you have a, a weekend project, or I think you had a hog roast and um, a, a, a target shoot out at uh, Silent Run. Um, you've had multiple evangelistic efforts. And I would see an email on Monday that, that said, this is what happened. These were some of the results results of it but that's kind of second nature to you as a leader because of all your time in the in the army you might want to think about putting something in writing someday to help the help others think through a, a good decision making process because you you just walk through identify the problem look at your available resources develop a plan implement your plan and evaluate what you how it went um, you may do it better the second time after the after the practice and the evaluation um, so for spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, Bible reading, scripture memory, et cetera, et cetera, what's the most challenging for you? Well, I hate to put it down to just one thing that's challenging. Um, to be to be honest, you know, I would always like to spend more time in study just over whatever message it is. You know, the normal rhythm, of course, we're kind of out of sorts with COVID, but, you know, the normal battle rhythm is, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so that in itself is a lot to lay in there um, to, to, to put the appropriate amount of, of, of resources and study just for myself. Um, but then the weak part of that is, you know, of all those things, balance and career, you know, I love law enforcement chaplaincy. Uh, I, love, I love all my first responders out there. And where it usually hinders me the most is my own personal study, my own personal um, discipleship is, is usually what suffers quite frankly the most. That makes sense. So you're you're all the time um, pouring out for others, and so the, the the challenge is probably to stay fresh and take some time away. Tim, if you could go back, you've been a Christian, so you just turned 50 years old. You were saved at age 12. You've been a Christian for 38 years. If you could go back to brand, congratulations, if you could go back to brand new Christian Tim and give some advice that he would heed and apply to his life, what would it be? Don't let the flame turn down. I mean, keep it full throttle the entire time from that very first moment that you feel, you know, all that weight of the world off your shoulders of get out there, get after it, and don't listen to anybody to let it get stale. Just stay after it. So it's impossible to not make an application to your your work and what you just said. You're in you're in the one sixtieth. You referred you referred to a group of A plus leaders that you're with all the time, and so you're, you're constantly with those type of individuals who are all in. They're taking their work seriously. They're doing everything they can to improve and do better at it. Uh, and then, but in the Christian life, a lot of times that's not who we're that's not who we're around. And the and Proverbs thirteen twenty says that he that walks so with wise men. One of the. Jump, jump, go, go right ahead. Well, I, I, are we unfroze? Yeah. 
Okay. One of the things, sir, just to jump in there, I apologize, that I think we do horribly as a church is is we're not willing to take an event and do an after-action review and say what went wrong. We just want to say, oh, this great thing. You know, we had 50 people here. That's great. Looking at it from the planning aspect, look at it to the execution aspect, and look at it to the follow-up aspect. That's great. We had 50 people here. Did we make a gospel presentation to those 50 people? Did we get follow-up? Oh, we got follow-up on 30. Okay, well, that's still 20. We didn't get it. We got to do better next time. We've got to be willing to look at our faults, whatever they are, and make them better for the next event. Because we've only got a few events left till the Lord returns. Well, those folks at Fruit Hill are blessed to to have you have you now as their as their pastor. Uh, you're blessed to get to serve them as their pastor. So it seems like the the internet challenge we're having that when I give you or I give lengthy answers that it gets cut out. So I want to get this quote in and let you respond to it. Uh, Jim Henry was president of Southern Baptist Convention years ago. He quoted H.B. London at a Southern Baptist Convention meeting. And at that time, H.B. London said 1,600 pastors a month were leaving the ministry. That statistic has been challenged. It's not It's not the right number. Uh, it's too high. But the reasons were important. He said three reasons pastors were leaving the ministry. Number one was ministry fatigue. They're just worn out. Uh, number two was family problems of their own. And number three was a pathological antagonist in the in the church, someone who was just relentlessly attacking them. Um, has there been a time when you felt like that you might not make it in ministry? <laughs> yeah, there might have been early on. I don't know how he found me or recognized me, but he invested into me with coffee every week and encouraged me and got me through those those rough first couple of years. Uh, and I think that encouragement for all of us uh, is critical that we that we encourage each other that regardless of what we're you know our churches are not in competition. I've got several great churches around me here. I had great churches around me at Silent Run. The fact of the matter. Is I don't care somebody goes to. I just want them to have a relationship with Christ and go to a church. And our pastors need to to encourage that. That we're you know we're not we're not stealing sheep. We're just putting them in a different pasture for a bit. Yeah. Well, so um, someone has asked here, and I want to follow up on it, Tim. It's an important question. So, I mean, I know enough about your routines that you had to get up pretty early to leave, read the Bible, leave the house, get to work on time. Um, what what helps you be an early riser, apart from having a deadline that you have to be there? I hate mornings. <laughs> the reason I went, the reason I went to the one sixtieth was because they're called night stalkers. I could work <laughs> in the evening. <laughs> I, I just have to get up and get going because if I leave the house at five thirty, that puts me at work before seven, and I can leave early enough to do the ministry after. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so for me, the way I answer that question is that what I discovered somewhere along the line that that I have to have a certain amount of sleep each night. I just I just do. We're we're all different. Um, you have to figure out how much you have to have, and then you have to go to bed in time to get that amount of sleep and get up the next morning. And and for a long time, for me, that meant turning off movies when I was halfway through. Right. 
turning off a show that I really enjoyed, even though I didn't finish it, because it, it, it I had to make a priority of getting up and having that time with the Lord. And so my my, my wake up time is between four thirty and five o'clock in the morning on most on most mornings, and but I go to bed between eight thirty and nine thirty uh, in the in the evening, so I can get up at that at that time. So Tim, um, what do you say? So so you work with couples that are having marital problems. One thing that I know about folks who've been married in their in their first year of marriage is that they're probably having some problems because you you can't merge two lives without there being some difficulty because we don't always merge very well. Uh, same is true in ministry. If if you're in ministry, I know you're having some I know you're having some problems. So what do you say to those right now who are struggling under the pressures associated with pastoring a church? Just from the part of struggling, I missed. Yeah. Uh, just, just the, the normal. So, pastoring is a is a blessing. It's a privilege, not a right. We we all agree with that. That's an honor to get to pastor a local church. But it's not easy. There, 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 it's a spiritual battle, and ministry fatigue is a real thing. And there are antagonists in the church, and that can wear a guy down. So, what do you say to a guy that feels like he's just kind of worn down? Well, uh, this is going to be the pot calling the kettle black, but you've got to learn how to fit, particularly for, for you bivocational guys out there, you've, you've got to find a way to make a Sabbath, and it may not be a full day. It's obviously not going to be on Sunday. It's not going to be Monday to Friday. Or, or portions or pieces, find a Sabbath. you got to find somebody that you can confide in. It can't be your wife because you've got to share some of the ugly. You've got to... You know, you're kind of like a garbage truck. You, you drive around and you pick up everybody else's garbage. At some time, the truck's got to go to the dump and get rid of it, and you've got to do that, or, or it's not going to be healthy for you. Um, i never forget my dad always taught me when I was a kid uh, not, not, to, not to hang out with the folks that you work with. Um, and I'm blessed to have mental uh, uh, and, and I, you know, you just have to balance where you keep them. I think everybody everybody needs to have, you know, that one couple in the church that that they trust implicitly that if they come up to you and told you to wear a lime green shirt and purple pants, that you would just wear it because if they said it, it was for your best interest, even if you didn't understand it. And uh, I hate to call out names, but uh, John... John and Shirley Brown. Oh boy, man, they kept this guy going. Yeah. They hung they hung right in there. They hung right in there with you, and I'm sure they saw you through some really challenging times. And and the great thing about that is that the people you're describing, they're not just feel good friends. We we all need some feel good friends. But they were they were feel good friends who would also speak truth into your life when yeah. when that was the need. That's a that's a true that's a true friend. Well, I'm grateful for your comments. Your comments there, and all of us, all of us do need, and we need hobbies. You know, I understand that you're a world class uh, smallmouth angler. Is that is that true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a true statement. I can outfish Jeremy Atwood all day long, <laughs> and I don't understand why he hangs his tidy whities out all over the neighborhood. <laughs> So Jeremy is asking uh, what leadership principles you've learned from from fishing. 
Are there any? Well, regardless of how well you do, you have to let success number one. You're going to have to repeat that. Froze up. Oh, sorry. I said uh, no matter how good an angler you are, you have to let Dr. Chitwood be the, the, the best angler in the group. Oh, how about that? So if you take Dr. Chitwood fishing, you need to let him win. Yeah. Uh, Tim, this is all super helpful. Let me ask you a couple of questions about our current, kind of our current reality. I'm thinking of, of COVID-19 uh, right. current reality. We're, we're still in that. So how are you guys doing services right now at Fruit Hill Baptist? You froze up right there. It started yeah. as soon as you started so, to ask. Uh, COVID-19, church services are different. How are you doing them right now at Fruit Hill? Well, hey, everybody knows I, I like to be different anyway. We're outside until the first week of July um, just because it was what's right for us. Uh, and I think there's a measure of grace across all of us of regardless of where we fall in the spectrum of COVID. We have to be uh, respectful of everyone's position. My my fly. Um, so we're going to stay outside and just kind of watch and see. Just to be totally truthful, I love standing in the bed of my pickup truck with jeans and a cap on and preaching. Yep. So we're in no hurry to go inside. Tim, I preached from the front porch at Carter Creek in Muhlenberg County last Sunday, and um, man, it was it was a it was a blast. And and um, they you know they had a full they had a full house. So uh, Fruit Hill church attendance before you came, what was what was church attendance like there? Uh, somewhere mid mid twenties to, to up to thirty. Uh, I I don't I obviously don't have the statistics yeah. totally, but I know there were twenty two folks that voted the night they voted for me. Twenty two, you got a good vote, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite a hundred percent, but I'm used to that. Hey, that's that's okay. Um, so, um, how many people are you having at your parking lot service? So we've been averaging somewhere between 48 and 52. I haven't actually done the that I've been keeping, and it's difficult looking into cars, but somewhere between 48 and 52. So I mean, your attendance has doubled. You know, everyone wants to come out and see the new puppy. Let's see if they stay. <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're going to stay, I'm sure. You'll, you'll, you'll stay through, and I hope they'll stay, hope they'll stay with you. And so um, July is your plan to go back into the building. What would that look like at Fruit Hill? So I, I've, I've sat in on all the KBC. Look, I'm a KBC lover. I, that's the world. And I don't say that because I'm talking to you. But So I've sat through all the webinars. I've looked at stuff outside of the KBC. I've looked at the CDC. You know, we've got all the hand sanitizer. We've got a, a fogger to sanitize the facility. We're going to start with just the morning worship, keep the rest of the facility closed down, do social distancing. Um, we're going to do as, as best we can do with all the guidelines that's been put out. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just going to put our trust in the Lord that, that he's going to see us through. Yeah. Well, no doubt. Were you made in the building or were you made in an activity space or fellowship hall? I, I think I heard you say where we meet. We're going to go back into the, to the to the sanctuary. We're a relatively small facility. So whether it be fellowship hall or sanctuary, we still have the same amount of work to do as far as cleaning. Yeah. So we're just going to make the best. 
Tim, from what we're uh, reading from government guidelines, uh, Sunday school is going to be more difficult than the worship service. Uh, in fact, the restrictions on Sunday school are, they're not impossible, but they're, they're, they're very difficult. Have you all looked that far down the road yet? Have you thought about Sunday school? So, yeah, and we've started looking at it, and there's some things that would work great, frankly, in other places. You know, obviously the Internet and technology is a great tool. We just don't have that ability here based on the maturity of our congregation. Uh, we don't have a lot of Internet folks. Um, and so really just frankly, the truth matters, I just don't have a good plan right now. Well, and and that's I mean that's okay. You guys are gonna work. You're gonna work. We're just you know we're we're small. You're gonna work through it together. And uh, I'm talking to a lot of different churches about Sunday school, small group, and children's ministries. And they're just at different places. Some are gonna wait till the fall until school's mm -hmm. kind of back in session and follow the follow the school and just see how things begin to open back up. A lot of our churches are having a pretty good. Um, zoom meeting sunday school class for adults they're trying to do things with children probably a little more difficult but we just have to kind of figure it out and, and walk through it uh, hey you've got a great wife and uh, audrey has stuck with you through a lot you've been married 24 years what do you do as a again busy bivocational active what do you do to keep your marriage a priority well i'm blessed and i don't say it cliche but I married a godly woman, and I make no apology that, you know, in the early part of our years, she was she was a spiritual leader in our house, and so we both approached that from the aspect of, if we know what God is expected, um, we, we, we've learned now that the children have started to get older that we were able to, to focus more on each other, whereas before, look, the, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I tell everyone, for a lot of, a lot of years, you know, I, I followed the sound of the gun. I I put my family second to, you know, the, the wart hand, and she was a rock star. She raised our kids. She bought houses. She bought a farm. She kept everything going, and so now we've we've got a camper, and we've we've started camping. We we're trying to balance. In fact, we were going to take the month of April and go. We try to take. You know, now we do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or we try to go to somewhere that. We can just get up and come to church Sunday morning and go back and get to camp for Sunday afternoon. Um, we've got a little cabin that we, we sneak away to. Um, look, I, I know everyone says it, but the truth matters. I got the best wife on the face of the planet. Um, she's a rock star. When I, when, I was, when I was initially approached about coming back on active duty, I said, sure, but let me talk to my wife first. I was asked if I would come out of retirement and come back into the Army. And she said, what did you say? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I said, I had to talk to you first. And she goes, okay. And that was it. Yeah, that's good. So, Tim, I think I saw on, on Facebook a while back that you took Audrey to either the opera or to a, a play in Nashville. Is that right? You don't seem like an opera guy to me. No, we try to. we try to do one cultural thing a year to act like civilized people. Um, we symphony once a year, um, and we make a date of it. We, you know, we spend the night in Nashville. Uh, the last time we went, we actually took all of our deacons. Uh, you know, let's be honest, nobody out here on this end of Kentucky is going to the symphony. Uh, we took all of our deacons. Uh, in fact, we we actually invited Dr. Chitwood, and 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 him and his daughter joined us. 
Uh, just had a great time. That's that's a lot of fun. So let me give a couple questions here. This will be interesting to you. Gil from Pakistan is 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 watching us, and um, he's in a house church that's growing bigger and bigger, and worshiping in a small courtyard and street. But there's a, there's a fear of COVID, and so I think you've already kind of touched on that. That that absolutely pray, be wise, um, exercise the you know the safe social distancing the best you can. But I'm just encouraged that Gil from Pakistan is watching you and I right now. That's pretty incredible, and it just goes to show, you know, our gospel, our gospel influence in the breaks of pastors and churches. It got us out of the facilities that we built where we've been worshiping the facility and not the God that we serve. So, Tim, let's go back real quick as we begin to wrap up. Let's go. Let's pull back up to your leadership, your approach to problem solving. You mentioned the MDMP, uh, military decision-making process. And so here's the problem. The problem is I'm pastoring a church that's not evangelistic, all right? My members won't, don't share the gospel. Or let's, let's make it simpler. They're, they're not inviting folks to church. How would you, how would you in, a, in the minute or two we have left, how would you think through that problem, think about resources, et cetera? Just walk us through a problem of a church that's just not evangelistic, and you're wanting to solve that problem. Well, I, I would hope, I mean, I, so in, in, a, in a short response, I'd hope that you've got deacons that love the Lord and love you as the pastor, and you just grab those gentlemen and say, hey, look, I, I want to go out for 30 minutes. I'm going to buy you dinner and just here at Fruit Hill, I started because I'm in that weird spot. I got a 50-50 shot. If I knock on someone's door right now, I'm going to offend them. And so I've started. I, I drive one mile down the road each direction, and I just pray for the houses along the way. And if I see somebody out, if the Lord lays it, I try to stop. But grab those guys and, and, and get them out there with you. If you can win, I mean, I hate to put it that way, and I don't mean it negative, but if you can just you'll get this you'll get those people and they'll get on board and and don't be afraid to don't be afraid to get trained it's okay to get trained we we go to sunday school yeah that's awesome so get some guys on board with you start with your deacons try to get them the same the same heart uh tim proverbs eighteen twenty four says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And so I, I want to say you, you, you're you a friend to me. You've been a friend to me. And I appreciate your friendship. Thankful for your ministry. I'm thankful that you are striving to lead evangelistically. I'm thankful that you're a cooperating partner with Kentucky Baptist Convention. You value missions and a cooperative program. Thank you for that. But I'm, I'm grateful for your friendship. How can I pray for you as we wrap up? Sir, the biggest prayer I got right now is that the Lord would just seamlessly join now being an active duty soldier again. And, and, and our heart's desire is to be able to balance that with staying here at Fruit Hill, uh, that, that our ministry would be fruitful. Um, you know, we, we want to see folks growing for Jesus, and we want to be able to serve both those things with a good balance. I'm going to ask those who are viewing with us on, on uh, Facebook Live to pause just for a second. Let's pray together for Tim and Audrey and the folks at Fruit Hill and his, uh, his reactivated position with, with the Army. Let's pray together, Tim. Father God, thank you for your grace and mercy, and thank you for Tim. Thank you for saving him as a 12-year-old boy. 
Thank you for calling him into the gospel ministry. Thank you, Lord, for what you did through him at, at uh, Silent Run, and now you've called him to Fruit Hill. And then now, Lord, you've opened the door for him to be active duty again with the 160th. And his prayer and our prayer is that you would seamlessly join those together, that Tim can carry out both roles that he believes you've opened up for him. And, Lord, if you've opened them, then then you you I, we believe you'll do that. We pray for the folks at Fruit Hill that they would know how to accommodate Tim's schedule and that he'll know how to best serve them. And we pray, Lord, for a fruitful ministry. We pray the best days of that church would be out in front of them and not behind them. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons.